The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. All clear! It was all here, Perry. Tell him. She's right. UFOs, unidentified flying objects, only they were all identified, bagged, tagged, processed, right here. UFOs? Yes. Don't you see? It's a cover-up, big time. That's what's going on. Okay. Now, this story could be bigger than Superman. What we have got here is cosmic Watergate, Perry. I'm going to get back and start writing this right now. No, 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 just hold on. Now, look, this is where I got to get off this bus you're driving. We know what we saw. No, you two are the best. You tell me something, I believe you. I can't let you write it, though. Well, sure you can. Clark and I can cooperate each other. Not when you're talking UFOs. Lois, your physical evidence is gone. Trask is missing. Thompson's dead. General Newcomb says he never even heard of you. We print this, we're going to look like the National Whisper. You two could kiss your careers goodbye and take the paper along with you. I just can't let that happen. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, May 13th, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today where Robert and I are going to kiss our careers goodbye <laughs> <laughs> and enter the world of cosmic Watergate. Oh, we're going to talk about flying saucers and UFOs today. Are they aliens? That's a question we're going to entertain. We also want to take a look at Roswell, which of course is the famous incident and place where a lot of the UFO story and mythology got started. And we want to talk a little bit about Stephen Hawking, who told us to beware of ETs, that uh, they could present a danger to us. And we'd like to see if we can, somehow throughout this whole show, uh, sort of give a, a reasoning of how to tell what's real and what's not in this basic issue. Um, you might be surprised by some of the conclusions that I and Robert have come up with. I'm not sure of Robert's yet. I've, I was amazed at some of the things I found when I started investigating this a couple of days ago. One thing I know is that trying to have a serious discussion about UFOs or flying saucers or aliens visiting our planet, whatever you want to call it, is for some people a lot like talking about sex in public. It really is. You know, It makes them feel uncomfortable for some reason. You can see it. I, I notice it when you broach it with certain people. Normally they might react, uh, you know, you, you get the, the, the humor and disbelief, you know. Uh, that's almost how the media always handles it. Or cautious distancing from anybody who's, quote, crazy enough to talk about UFOs, right? Especially in front of other people. And, you know, one thing I found is that like religion and like human-caused global warming, like the Holocaust, etc., the issue of UFOs, especially if one interprets them as being aliens from outer space, has its true believers and its stoic skeptics. Try saying that really fast twice. And it has its advocates and its deniers. Now, I don't really regard myself as, as either. However, this hasn't prevented me from arriving at a conclusion about the issue. And remaining... Uh, 
is the word agnostic? I don't like that word, but you know, about open, I guess, about what I believe UFOs to be. And, you know, it's not really how my mind works. I'm not the agnostic type. I can make a decision and be prepared to change it if I have to in the, in the presence of, uh, of new evidence. The fact that I may side with one side of the issue and operate as if such were the case does not close my mind to being convinced of the other side. But so far, i got to tell you, Robert, uh, the kookies look a little more sane than you might think. Uh, some of them, you know. Um, certainly unlike any other paranormal phenomenon or mystical phenomenon or supernatural, whatever you want to call it, UFOs as are, you know, as an objective subject for consideration, really different from those other issues. Now, of course, superstition is rampant in our society. We've talked about that on past shows. It manifests itself not only in religion and mysticism, but also in science as well, as we discovered. And... Um, certainly something we've looked at in depth. So it should come as no surprise that uh, the kooks are also out in for full force on an issue like this. And we don't want to really deal with that side of the issue. I don't, uh, to me, there's so much non-productive blather about it. I don't want to cater to that. I don't want to, it's so easy to make fun and jokes. I'm sure we'll not be able to resist the temptation once or twice through the show. But we thought we'd take a serious look at the issue as best we can in light of the fact that like so many of you, we have no direct evidence upon which to draw any conclusions. So obviously we'll have to deal with the problem of how to draw a reasonable conclusion under such circumstances. I'm not going to try and convince anybody of anything today with regard to what you should believe about UFOs or aliens or whatever from outer space, but hopefully by the end of today's show, we'll, you know, we'll be able to elaborate and explain how and why we've arrived at our own conclusions and uh, hopefully give you some thoughts on where you can go. I, I don't want to sit here and detail all the stories. Boy, there are so many. I, I actually spent two days, Robert, oh, I tell you, that high-speed stuff is great. Um, <laughs> but, boy, you can waste some time. And I just started inundating myself with a lot of useless information on this subject. And There's still, a, lot of, a lot of nonsense Yes. Now, personally, I can't speak from any form of experience. I've never seen a UFO. I haven't really, you know, had any such experience. But I had an interest in it when I was a kid, and I sort of dropped it, drew some conclusions then, and really didn't revisit the issue until two days ago. So I'll talk about what I found later, but um, unlike myself, I guess uh, you have seen something in the skies. Is that I true? I have seen a UFO, yes. Well, tell us about it. Well, um, if I could recount to you my own sighting of a UFO, as you're not you worried about your know. credibility, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, credibility, Bob. Come on. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that's the point. Yeah, now I know. I gave up worrying about what yeah. people thought I, I was talking about long time ago. Okay. I really don't care to tell you the truth. Uh, as you might know, Bob, I'm a bit of a backyard astronomer, and on a clear summer night, about a uh, about midnight, I was in the backyard looking up at the stars when I saw and heard what I thought were a pair of passenger jets overhead. They looked like ordinary jets traveling at about 30,000 feet with uh, the wing and tail lights on. Uh, the odd thing was that one of them was apparently directly behind the other one by about three or four plane lengths, very close, too close in fact, given the jet wash from the first craft. I thought perhaps, of course, that they were simply at two different flight levels and may have been separated vertically by a few thousand feet but they seemed to be the same size and traveling in the exact same direction at the same speed. Then, after looking at them for uh, about three seconds or so, the plane, or whatever it was, following the lead plane, simply did a 90-degree turn to the left and disappeared. Just like that? Just like that. Where were you when this happened? Was this in London? It was or in somewhere? my backyard in London. in London. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could no longer see its lights. They had faded in about half a second. They, they didn't just, like, blink off. They just, like, faded, zip, like that. 
the lead plane continued on as it normally would. So that's my UFO sighting. Now, I, I know a little bit about physics. I actually studied it in university. Now, you observed this through a, through a, through binoculars or some... Nope, no, oh, no, just, just naked eye? You couldn't, you couldn't watch something that oh. binoculars. No. So I, knew, I know a little bit about physics and flying. And I know that if the plane that turned was, in fact, a passenger jet, as it appeared to be, it could not do a 90-degree turn, not at least without killing all aboard and then disintegrating due to the G-forces. You said you know a little bit about flying? I know you have a pilot's license. Yeah, yeah. I have a, a little bit license. like me, yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a pilot's license, do you? No, oh, that's okay. what I mean. I'm the one who knows a little bit about flying. <laughs> well, yeah, I do have a pilot's license, so I, I do know a little bit about yeah, flying. Thank you. <laughs> at least I would hope so. <laughs> uh, now, what I saw defied what I knew to be possible. It could not have been a jet. It was, by definition, a UFO. No known aircraft, in my knowledge, could have maneuvered as it did. That made me think of a number of things at once. Could it have been some sort of atmospheric illusion? Perhaps the fact that it was following so closely to the lead jet could be explained by some sort of reflection. But I don't think so. Uh, as we just talked about, I do have a pilot's license myself, and to become a pilot, you do have to study meteorology, at least to some basic mm. and rudimentary extent. So I know a little bit about meteorology, and I've never come across an atmospheric phenomenon which could explain such a mirage, especially since there was no angle to my line of sight to these aircraft. The, the craft were directly at the zenith, directly over my head. Anyway, a mirage could never explain that a 90-degree turn and the quick fading of its lights. So... Was there anyone in position of authority I should report this to? You know, that's another thought that went through my head within a, a flash, you know. Why? What could they do? What could I that's do? exactly. <laughs> then I thought seriously that I had witnessed just possibly a craft of extraterrestrial origin. It didn't necessarily frighten me or excite me. In fact, I distinctly remember feeling pretty much emotionless. I thought to myself, how does this change anything? How does this, in the slightest way, affect my life? I quickly concluded that it didn't. I went back inside the house and went to bed. <laughs> I didn't actually, actually, I didn't tell anyone of my sighting until actually a few years later, when the topic of UFOs came up during a casual conversation with a friend, and I told him what I saw. And you were mentioning about how do people react when you tell them a story like that. And his reaction was just like mine, emotionless, you know, pretty much non, you know, no emotion, no passion. Oh, that's interesting type of thing, you know. And, and it went on from, you know, just we just dropped, dropped it. And I think that reactions stem from a lack of control. Control, I think so. Lack of control. We don't know who to call, what to do, how does it change your life, how does it affect you, what does it mean? Even if they are, for example, extraterrestrials. What can you do about that? Nothing. Well, why even ask that question? Why do you have to do anything about it? Well, actually, the uh, first thing that think... went through my mind weren't that it was an extraterrestrial. The first thing that goes through your mind is like, what could it, what physically that I know of could explain such a phenomena? And I quickly dismissed, you know, meteorology, other jet craft, things like that. You know, what I knew to be aircraft. Mm -hmm. So you're almost left as a default with the most outrageous explanation which of course are is et you know i found that outrageous and and i and i still until just recently i didn't really believe that aliens had visited us here well, that's an interesting even statement. actually watching that 
I was not totally convinced. It was one instance, and, you know, science does not base conclusions based on a single observation, usually. So I found it difficult to come to such an outrageous conclusion that it was E.T. based on one simple observation. So what do you think of that, Bob? What do you think I, of my sighting? I, Am I a well, kook? No, you just reported an object you saw in the sky. You said what it did. You've given a few possibilities of what it could be, and you're entertaining one of the more outrageous ones, which I don't think is that outrageous. Um, you know, it's a funny thing. I, I, I've... I, start, I, took, I went two days ago when we decided to do this subject. I go online, I go Googling information, and I'm especially Googling information that can really give us some good counter-arguments to the alien story. And, uh, and we haven't said anything about the actual facts that we've run into yet. And I couldn't find anything that satisfied me in any way. In fact, uh, the more I, I... The only really hardcore group of people I found who, who would say that they're not aliens are hardcore skeptics who actually belong to skeptic societies and things like that. And their arguments are as specious as anything I've heard on the kooky side of the alien mm -hmm. story. And that, that's what they generally pick on is the kooks. And then by dismissing them, they put in the same bag all the people who are not kooks. And, um, you know, I went on, uh, I looked on, uh, where is this, Wikipedia had an interesting thing to say, a couple things I did not know. Um, the term UFO, by the way, was not invented until 1952. Not, not so, according to them, not to suggest unidentifiedness of the object, but to reflect the wider diversity of the shapes that were being seen. They weren't all discs, they weren't all saucers, they were all different shapes, so they needed a new word, they called them UFOs, and that covered everything if you couldn't identify it. Of course, um, there's a history to this, uh, Kenneth Arnold, Roswell, and you hear people on both sides of um, the issue. The main explanations you'll find, uh, and there's four, extraterrestrial hypothesis, of course, hoaxes, natural phenomenon, and mass hysteria. Those are basically your four categories. And of, they're missing uh, one. Which one? If I'm not mistaken, they're missing the fact that there may be technology out there developed perhaps either by... Uh, a military of a friendly nature, a military of an unknown nature. That That's possible. That could be fall under yeah. natural phenomena. Have you ever though. seen, I think, what's those F-14s or whatever, they were, those flying wings? Have you ever seen one at an air show? Boy, I tell you, they look freaky. But now, here's what was really interesting. You know, I've always gone on this saucer thing and flying saucers. I have always thought that, like, you know, 99% of the reports are proven false. And maybe 1% have some weight to them. The statistics are very different from that. In fact, um, Google, or Google um, Wikipedia cites a scientific analysis by the U.S. Air Force at the Battelle Memorial Institute from 1952 to 1954, and it contradicted all the contentions that people would have about this. It found that, yes, most were indeed due to natural phenomenon, but only about 2% were due to hoaxes or to psychological effects, and only 0.4% were due to clouds and cloud formations. Guess how many were unexplained, seriously unexplained? I don't know. 22%. That's extraordinarily significant. It's a lot considering that, all the sightings. And, um, you know, still defied any plausible explanation by a team of scientists. And other scientific studies have come to similar conclusions. I'm often asked by people, I remember uh, Jim Chapman asked me this once, he said, uh, you know, if these flying saucers are all over the place, how come, we, how come it's not in the newspapers? How come it's not in the news? And I said, Jim, give your head a shake. It's all over the place. Look at the learning channel. Look at all the specialty channels. Like everything 
everything's got its specialty now. You, even if you want your own sports, you've got to go to the sports channel to get it now. Not everything is on the normal commercial stations anymore. And I remember when I was a kid, UFO sightings were constantly on TV. They were constantly in the free press. There were some local things here that they even filmed right here in London. And so to say that these things aren't happening, and I got a clipping from the paper the other day, um, just says also that in Canada, UFO sightings are up, not down, as you might exp- think if you're not reading about it in the paper. So something is obviously out there. There is an empirical piece of evidence from which we can start an argument. There is something that's being seen, and it's not just being seen by human eyes. It's not just being seen by or made up. There are cameras that witness these things. It, you know, Generally, when I hear one witness, I'll dismiss them right off the bat, even though that might be unfair. On, on an issue like this. But once you have two, three, and maybe some corroborating evidence, and four, five, and in some cases thousands of people, mm-hmm. do I just dismiss that? Do I sit back and say, well, no, I don't believe in flying saucers. I don't believe in that. Well, of course, no, I don't have any proof. And, and, and when people talk about proof, that's where half of the joke on this whole issue is, oh, I need scientific proof. No, you don't. You can't scientifically prove 90% of the things that happen in your life. Scientific proof, as we learn from Christopher Essex and other people, requires things like repetition, that they can repeat, that they can predict. And if you are, in fact, dealing with an intelligence, by nature, that's not predictable. They have a will of their own. They're going to react to your experiment, (laughs) right? They're not just going to sit there like an object and be acted upon. So naturally, the idea of, of science even coming into that level of it yet, when we don't have the evidence in our hands, for us, it may be that the military does. And there are a growing number of very, very credible people who are saying that. And we'll talk about some of that later. But of course, let's, let, let's take a look, quick look at the history of this. And we'll, I think we have to start with Roswell. And what we've got in this next clip coming up was originally broadcast in 1998, and it was called uh, well, Roswell. It was hosted by Jonathan Frakes. 1998 was a very significant year for Roswell. It was basically 50 years after the Roswell event, which happened in 47. And um, this was one of the biggest things that got my attention was the government put a 50-year clampdown on any publication of any documents and news relating to the Roswell incident. That's more than the Kennedy assassination. You do that about a weather balloon? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If they said it was a weather balloon, yeah, why have all the secrecy? What, what's, what, what, that, that, right there, that doesn't make sense. And I think a lot of people don't understand the role of government and the power of government to influence opinion and how, how much that plays into this issue. Oh, by the way, Bob, remember so, the weather balloon thing? Mm-hmm. The uh, picture that they showed of the balloon, it wasn't even a weather balloon. <laughs> well, <laughs> let's take a listen to this, and when we come back, we'll talk about Roswell and give you some of our own conclusions on this. I believe that a flying saucer from uh, another planet crashed. I believe that um, a man and his son found debris. And I believe that uh, the government, the United States government, uh, acquired the wreckage and put it and its inhabitants in storage. That's what I think happened. The question is, why after 50 years are we still talking about Roswell? What is it about this story that so intrigues people and gives rise to so much controversy? In 1947, something crashed in remote southeastern New Mexico. After the pieces of the wreckage were recovered, the Army issued a press release saying it had captured a flying saucer that almost immediately recanted the earlier statement and said it was nothing more than a downed weather balloon. Not until people who were there started to tell their story some 30 years later did UFO researchers begin to piece together a story 
that has captured the imagination of people all over the world. I've actually read a lot of books about Roswell and uh, looked at all the evidence, and I think that there was some sort of government cover-up, and I'm pretty sure that something crashed there, and it wasn't just a weather balloon. Something not made on this earth crashed in 1947. So we were uh, uh, quite amused that they misidentified our balloon for a flying saucer. I would say that I believe that there was an alien craft that crashed north of Roswell. I'm convinced beyond any doubt that what happened at Roswell was that a Project Mogul train of weather balloons, about 23 weather balloons, carrying several aluminum foil radar targets so it could be tracked, crashed on the ranch of man known as Mac Brazel. General DuBose, who was the chief of staff of 8th Air Force in July of 1947, told us flat out that the balloon explanation was a cover story. Reporters are all over this. We're going to have to give them something. Somebody already has. With us this morning in the KGFL studios is a local rancher who has a startling story to tell. You found something on your ranch? Some kind of debris? This wasn't just any debris, sir. This was some metal like nothing I'd ever seen before. This was something from another world. We've got to shut this guy up, sir. We thought we'd let it go. Divert attention from Mogul. When you've seen the reports on all these sightings, people are eating this up with a spoon. I wouldn't recommend that, sir. Why is that, Captain? If we give our seal of approval to this, people are going to believe it. You get a country that thinks that we're not in control of the skies, you're inviting a major panic. Oh, really? So which do you like better for the press release? Flying discs or flying saucers? Well, personally, I prefer saucers. What about you? I don't know. It reminds me of tea, actually. <laughs> 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation. And you're listening to Just Right on CHRW from now till noon. I don't know how our time's going by so fast, but, you know, the Roswell situation is really something else. Uh, I have a quote here for you, Robert. Quote, The nations of the world will have to unite, for the next war will be an interplanetary war. The nations of the Earth must someday make a common front against attack by people from other planets. I've heard that quote. Yes, General Douglas MacArthur, MacArthur. amazingly. October 8th, 1955. And, of course, MacArthur was privy to what happened at Roswell, and strangely enough, one of the people that did work with him was Colonel Philip Corso. Was that right? I didn't know that. I found that out when I went online. And, and, And basically, if you haven't heard of Colonel Philip Corso, he died uh, about a year or two after the publication of his 1998 book called The Day After Roswell. You can Google all the info you want about Mr. Corso, but the one thing I could not find was any negative or damaging information regarding his reputation and the respect he earned among his peers who included government officials right to the very top of the U.S. government. His uh, 1998 book, The Day After Roswell, describes him as, quote, a key Army intelligence officer who served on General MacArthur's staff in Korea, there it is right there, and later on President Dwight D. Eisenhower's National Security Council as Lieutenant Colonel. 
During his 21-year military career, he was honored with 19 medals, decorations, and ribbons for meritorious service. He retired from the Army in 1963 and went on to serve Senators James Eastland and Strom Thurmond as a staff member specializing in national security. Since then, he worked for various private sector business entities and as a consultant and contracts administrator. He has appeared as an expert commentator on Cold War U-2 flights over Russia and has testified before the House National Security Committee about American POWs held in North Korea. Now, that was a quote, and I have to tell you, that that description was even an understatement, as I discovered, much to my delight, when I went online to actually find uh, audio and video interviews with with, uh, Colonel Corso, and they were very interested and filled in a lot of the details for me. But the reason I, I, I went through his his um, basic CV here rather than what he is saying is that to me I think because we're so outside this and the nature of the issue keeps the evidence from us that we have the only thing that folks like us can work on is essentially uh, in addition to the few pictures that might not be proven but basically the testimony of people like yourself who say they have seen something and their interpretation of it. Now, these people have seen a lot more than just UFOs in the sky. Now, the thing about Corso, though, Bob, remember I was telling you this before, I've read his book about the reverse engineering project, and what I was saying was that interesting book, however, there's one major flaw in that in that he was starting off the book by saying, for the last 20, 30 years, I've been lying to you. I've been told to lie to you. Well, that's So, therefore, that... I am a liar. So, But this book is true. <laughs> so what could I say about that? You know, well, I'd have to dismiss it. No, I, absolutely not. In fact, one of the phenomenon I found was that in looking at people over the years, uh, which way have they drifted on the issue? Generally, the skeptics and non-believers and deniers have switched over to the believer side, and they include some major deniers. J. Allen Hynek was the one when I was a kid. That was the biggest denier of UFOs going, and today he's on side. Oh, don't, don't misinterpret me. Um, I was talking about this one uh, singular instance. And then one singular instance, yes, but when you talk about other people coming forward, then you start to take notice. Well, true, but... If, if you, anything you can take in isolation won't be, uh, quote, evidence or something you mm-hmm. can really use to draw a conclusion. Not even my own personal observation. Not your own personal observation, not, you know, Colonel Philip Corso's observations, although they carry much more weight. Yes, they do. Yeah. And we have to accept witnesses as evidence of things. We do that in a court of law, for heaven's sakes. Nobody, can we scientifically prove a murder? <laughs> you no, can but prove somebody, certain aspects of it. If somebody came to the stand in a, in a murder trial and, and he was a, a criminal himself, that would be taken into account. Of course. And so when you say Corso was lying for 20 years and all of a sudden he's not lying, you have to take it with a grain of salt. Well, if you read his book, you'll find he was doing his job. That, you yes, know, If you're hired not to say, I, he wasn't so much as lying as not telling people what, what the facts were. Mm-hmm. And amazingly, what they were doing was taking parts according to the book, and he gets very specific. This is not a fun reading book, folks. If you're looking for excitement and UFOs and flying saucers, you're not going to find it in this book. It is so technical. Some of the chapters will put you to sleep <laughs> yeah, true. In, a, in, a, in a funny sort of way. But, but the implication of the whole book is amazing. And he wasn't making a big deal out of this. This dumped on his lap in 1962, I think. They gave him a filing cabinet. In it were, were these materials that apparently had been recovered from Roswell. They were reverse engineering them, and they did it very cleverly, and this, was, this made a lot of sense to me. What they did with the materials was they gave them to large corporations and c- companies, but they didn't tell them where it came from. 
They said it was reverse engineering, but we're, because they were in espionage and fighting the Russians and all that stuff, they said, well, this is a Russian invention or this is a Chinese invention. So the companies that were looking at these devices and things thought they were being developed in other countries, of course. Nobody's going to tell them it came from aliens, and it wasn't necessary to. And here's the weird thing. They sold the patents to them and, and allowed the technology to creep into society. Now, if we believe his story, the tech, a lot of the technologies we're using right here doing this show came from things that happened at Roswell. Mm-hmm. Now, this all sounds so fantastic. It's, it's really unbelievable. It's beyond any of the science fiction stuff we talk about sometimes, isn't it? And yet... Um, what's the name of that project uh, where they want everyone to... Re- I'll talk about that later, oh, actually. You're going to be talking about that? I will that? be talking about the Disclosure Project. Disclosure later. Project. Well, just stunning, stunning. The number of credible people who have gotten together to try and force the government's hand on this issue. Um, when I went online, I saw just this past May 1st, um, Larry King Live. He interviewed four um, Army majors. I don't know. All of them were named Bob and Robert. You think we've got a problem oh, here? Dear. And he had four of them on there: <laughs> Robert, Robert, and Bob and Bob. You know, and uh, but they were all very credible people, saying very. Uh, I thought a little bit disturbing some things that they were suggesting about UFOs. I don't know that I agree with a lot of their assessments, even though I might support some of their observations. But that's another issue. And uh, so you wanted to talk about that whole disclosure project. I will leave that to you then. Um, I just want to deal with this argument of scientific proof just before we go to the next break. You know, proofs, as I said, they demand repetition, predictability, etc. Um, you know, as for scientific proof, proof, which is a necessary concept, and I respect it in its proper context, trust me. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I knew, and I mean I knew, that there were millions and billions of other planets out there in the universe, each circling our own su- their own suns as you know, the suns that we see as stars, even though I knew at the same time that I couldn't prove it, not in any scientific way. I could argue it. I could say why, and as with all arguments, a position taken might be rational or it might be irrational. Rationality is not always a matter of scientific proof. Unlike an experiment, an observed event is not something that can be subject to scientific evaluation beyond the observation itself. Uh, I could not prove to you scientifically that I was walking down the stairs in the UCC one week ago, you know, between the hours of noon and 1 p.m. In the absence of seeing me do so yourself, you'd have to rely either on my testimony to that effect or place your trust in it, that I, you know, that I did that, or rely on the testimony of witnesses who saw me there during that time. That's all you've got to operate on. Maybe there was no one around when I walked through the UCC, but a security camera that caught a really fuzzy image of me as I turned <laughs> going down the steps, right? I'm the UFO. Now I'm now there's something that looks like me, but you can't be certain. I become an unidentified walking object, okay? <laughs> but a witness cannot repeat... A UWO? <laughs> but a, a witness cannot repeat an event, right? You can't repeat an event, nor can he prove anything that he witnessed. His observations can only be corroborated... Or denied one or the other that's the only choices you've got and if you're talking about scientifically studying this come on give your head a shake we're not there yet we're not being scientists we're being detectives we're at the detective stage we haven't determined what a is yet a is a you can't you can't determine what you're going to study until you've even identified it and i'm telling you they're finding some strange things in space uh, that we didn't know were there so you know for us there's nothing to prove I got nothing to prove to you. I can only say what I know from what I've heard, what I see in in, in the media. Uh, we're at the bottom of the hour right now. I've got to take a quick break. 
And um, when we come back, I guess you're going to be talking about that special project, are you? Oh, that and uh, Stephen Hawking. Yes, we're going to be talking about Stephen Hawking, that's right. And a little bit about his uh, warning that we should be careful about looking for ETs, right? Yes. Okay, we'll be back after this. One of the pioneers of UFO research and a nuclear physicist, Stanton Friedman is generally credited with breaking the Roswell case after a TV station manager first told him of Jesse Marcel. No previous connection, anything we talked about. He says, you know, the guy you ought to talk to is Jesse Marcel. Who's he? Oh, well, he handled pieces in one of these saucers when he was in the military. That got my attention, as you can imagine. As well, as he alive? Do you know him? Oh, yeah, he lives over in Homa. I had the faintest idea where Homa, Louisiana was then. I've been there since, of course. Uh, we're old ham radio buddies. Shortly before Marcel's death, Friedman was able to record an interview in which the former intelligence officer recollected the 1947 incident. One thing I was certain of, being familiar with all our activities, that it was not a weather balloon, nor an aircraft, nor a missile. It was something else of which we didn't know what it was. There were just fragments strewn all over the area, an area about three quarters of a mile long and several hundred feet wide. So we proceeded to pick up the parts. A lot of it had a lot of little members with symbols that to me I call them hieroglyphics because I could not interpret them, it could not be read. They were just like symbols of something that meant something. These little members could not be broken, could not be burned. I, I even tried to burn that, would not burn. See, that stuff weighs nothing. It's not in there thicker than tinfoil in a pack of cigarettes. Says, I tried to bend this stuff. Says, it will not bend. Says, we did all we could to bend it. It would not bend. Says, we even tried making a dent in it with a 16-pound sledgehammer. He says, still no dent in it. ourselves to see how intelligent life might develop into something we wouldn't want to meet. We humans are already capable of manipulating the course of our own evolution. Exactly the same presumably would be true of advanced extraterrestrials. Ultimately they could halt aging and become virtually immortal. What's more, they might have reached that point millions of years ago. It might sound unlikely, but if you think about it logically, alien technology should be as extraordinary to us as a rocket ship to a caveman. I imagine they might exist in massive ships like these, having used up all the resources from the home planet below. Such advanced aliens would perhaps become nomads, looking to conquer and colonize whatever planets they can reach. If so, it makes sense for them to exploit each new planet for materials to build more spaceships so they could move on. Like us, they would probably have evolved from a species used to exploiting whatever it can. So if aliens ever visit us, I think the outcome would be much as when Christopher Columbus first landed in America. which didn't turn out very well for the Native Americans. 
And welcome back to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And you can call us at 519-661-3600. As a matter of fact, somebody just did call us a few minutes ago and Mm -hmm. couldn't stay on the line, unfortunately, but they wanted to recount um, a UFO experience that they had. And the thing was that it was about 40 years ago. They were on the beach, him and his girlfriend. They saw things in the sky interacting and um, knew that it couldn't be any stars or anything like that. So they found that fascinating. And what I find fascinating, that it was 40 years ago, and they still remember it. That Things like that, you don't, you it, don't it, forget you know, them. It's funny because in one of the, uh, one of the criticisms of, of ufology or people that you know, believe in UFOs from a skeptic was that you know, one person says he couldn't believe anybody could possibly rem- remember where they were one year ago you know, five years ago, ten years ago, and I'm thinking that's insane. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I where remember I was when accidents happen. Uh, anything. People are assassinated. Things like that. Traumatic events are remembered very vividly. Perhaps not the date and the time and exactly, mm-hmm. but definitely the event and the sequence of events. Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, those uh, aircraft that I saw, I can see them in my mind's eye right now. They were that important to me. Well, you're sure trying like, to analyze something that you yeah. hadn't seen before. When the mind is forced to work, it remembers that that uncomfortable experience. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, that we, actually, coming out of those clips there, we heard from Stephen Hawking mm-hmm. um, in a show that he's put on, uh, on Discovery called Into the Universe. And that episode was called Aliens. Oh, that's the one that's been quoted in the papers recently. That's the one that's been controversial. Um, because Hawking has postulated that it's highly likely that the universe is teeming with life. In fact, he says that the universe is so ancient, being 14 billion years old and so vast, with so many countless trillions of stars and billions of galaxies, that any kind of life we could possibly think of most likely exists somewhere. According to Hawking, intelligent life abounds in space and could quite possibly be visiting Earth. Hawking's comments are quite remarkable given that he's thought of as perhaps the preeminent scientist of our age. Hawking's show and my own personal sightings have given me reason to think recently as to what I would consider to be reasonable evidence or proof that the UFOs are of extraterrestrial origin and that beings from outer space are visiting Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah. There's no doubt that there's UFOs. That's one thing. The origin of them, that's that's the big question. Are they E.T.? Hawking's conjectures are not enough, in my estimation, given, even given his stature in the scientific community. Just like Corso's individual recounts are not enough. And just my own personal observations, taken by itself, are not enough. In fact, any one account of sightings or encounters by anyone, no matter how reputable, could I take it as being as good evidence? My criteria. Well, no, that's funny you say that because when you told me your account, I believe you. I believe you saw that. I don't need a second. It's because I have a trustworthy face. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But my criteria would have to be a concerted, mm-hmm. consistent testimony of many reputable witnesses giving specific details of sightings and or encounters. At one time, I thought that if the President of the United States or a British or Canadian Prime Minister held a news conference to tell us that we were visited by aliens, I would accept that as proof. But given the kind of presidents and prime ministers we have and have had, I'd be highly skeptical of their pronouncement. In fact, if any politician came forward and said that the aliens have landed, I wouldn't believe him today. I really wouldn't. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. In May, however... 
That seems May. to be the pronouncement that many people are waiting for, though. Yeah, and you know what? That's, that's the thing. I wouldn't believe Obama. I wouldn't believe Harper. I wouldn't believe Gordon Brown and now the new prime minister. Mm-hmm. Of, I just wouldn't believe him because I, I know the kind of person that they have to be to get where they are. And well, it's a deceptive that, personality. In politics, maybe, but boy, you'd think you know that would ruin their reputation to say something like that unless it was true. Or unless they could see votes out of it. Well... I don't know you'd win votes on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. But that aside, you know, in May of 2001, an organization called, here's where we come up with, the Disclosure Project, held a news conference and presented testimony and evidence from over 400 reputable and credible people holding very prestigious positions in science and government. Their testimony was a detailed accounting of hundreds of confirmed and corroborated sightings and contacts with UFOs of undoubtedly extraterrestrial origin. And that's where the story comes from, is not from sightings and that so much as from officials who are actually talking now. Yes. You know, one of the things I noticed about the 50-year ban, when they put the 50-year ban on, why, would, why do you suppose they would do that? To protect the reputation of people. Well, not really. You know what I see it as? What? Why that long? Because generally, they would have assumed that anyone 50 years after 1947 would be dead by the time. Uh, and, and that didn't happen. Some people outlived it and they started yeah, talking. And yes. that's where a lot of the problem came in. Corso being one of them, yeah. of course. Well, yeah. he, he came after that, but even in the, um, in the other Roswell um, mm-hmm. documentary, they, they interviewed a lot of people who were obviously not doing this for publicity. Yeah. And were obviously, you know, not getting anything out of it. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's impossible to dismiss such testimony. No, you just can't. I'm sorry. I can't yeah. look at those people and see what they're saying and the, and the turmoil is put through them and, and, and then say, oh, yeah, he's just a kook. Yeah. He's doing this for fun. Uh-huh. Well, if I can say that, then I'm totally detached from reality. Yeah, you know, up to this <laughs> point in the show, I've been basically trying to impress upon you the fact that until just very recently, I've been totally skeptical about this, quite willing to dismiss any single account of anybody telling me that ETs out there. I really have been, because I find it such a far-fetched notion. Mm-hmm. But you know something? After I see this disclosure project and I see the hundreds upon hundreds of reputable, credible, highly professional people coming out there saying that it's true. That's, that's why I ended up wasting two days online going through all it's that stuff. I, I couldn't believe it. And then I said, yeah. okay, this can't just be one side of the story. Let me find the other side. Mm-hmm. Where are the other people who, have, who can say that these people are wrong? I couldn't find those people. Their accounts are overwhelming. Yes. And, it's pretty, and it pretty much satisfies my criteria for extraterrestrial origins of UFOs. And the fact that little, heard, little is heard today of this disclosure project. By the way, that was in May of 2001, and you know what happened just mm-hmm. a few months later. Mm-hmm. Of course, the Saudi attacks on the uh, 9-11. 9-11 yeah. sort of distracted everyone. Yeah, it was a little sort of went by the wayside there. So, And I remember where I was that day. Yeah, so do <laughs> for, I. For people... As a matter of fact, you phoned me at work to tell me about that, the attacks, and I remember that uh, phone call distinctly. That's yeah. a, it's one of, those, one of those things you don't forget, like nope. UFO encounters. <laughs> uh, yeah, so if 400 astronauts, Bob, scientists, engineers and otherwise highly credible people risk public ridicule, their careers, by coming forward and telling us that we're not alone and we dismiss them, then I'm going to do the reverse onus thing on people. I says, what would you, what evidence would you take to convince, to be convinced 
that there's extraterrestrial origins to UFOs. Well, we may have time to entertain that opposite point of view. Going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, what I'd like to do, Robert, is, is go through some of the major arguments as, as quick as we can, sort of in point form if we can to some degree, because we certainly we could spend a show on each one. Uh, I kid you not. And uh, our only point here today is, look, if you, if you find this hard to believe or you think we're, we're going over the edge, check it out yourself. Do your own research. I, I could, we could have sat here all day long and gone through each one of the 400 people. You know, yep. um, It's all online, by the way, this Disclosure Project. It's, it's a two-hour press conference It's very easy YouTube. to get a hold yeah. of. It's not something that someone would make up overnight. It's not the kind of thing that people who are involved with this would, would do. It's just not rational. You know, And, and and to say that I, you can't scientifically prove something is not an argument that addresses that issue. And that's one thing I never see addressed by, by skeptics. Absence of proof is not proof of absence. Exactly. So we'll be back right after this. I have the computer study on unidentified flying objects. Thank you. Huh. According to Look Magazine for October 1966, a couple saw and entered a flying saucer. Same magazine reported that more than 60 people saw a flying saucer near Kensington, New Hampshire on September 3rd, 1965. Life magazine on April 1st, 1966 published a picture of an unidentified flying object taken at Perth, Australia. You know, there have been literally hundreds of sightings of UFOs in the past few years by sober, responsible, intelligent people. Enough of them so the Air Force is subsidizing an independent university study of the subject. All right, kid, here's the deal. At any given time, there are around 1,500 aliens on the planet, most of them right here in Manhattan. And most of them are decent enough. They're just trying to make a living. Cab drivers. Uh, not as many as you'd think. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. The person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat, and 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. Wow, words of wisdom from a comedy movie, eh? <laughs> Individuals <laughs> in are intelligent, life. people aren't. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's an actual very true phenomenon, actually. Uh, you know... I have to look at the skeptical side of the of the issue of flying saucers, and, and I, I did go and look, and you know, here's one written by Beth Shotak of the SETI Institute of all things, and she dismisses the whole flying saucer issues on one keynote period, no evidence, and she says, you know, several uh, shows have soberly addressed the possibility that alien craft are violating our space. The problem I have with the claim is not that strange craft are prowling the planet, but with the lack of evidence. So she can accept the premise. But the fact that she hasn't got evidence is it. She says, if we could prove that aliens were here, I would be as awestruck as anyone. However, I wait exhibit A. Well, that back, goes back to my question. What would you consider to be evidence? I would proof? put it to you that I bet you if you showed that person a flying saucer, that wouldn't 
convince them. They tell you it was yep. fake. I think that they haven't come and up with the... They haven't answered that question yet. What would you consider to be evidence? And, and here's another one. Oregonians for rationality, debunking UFOs. Um, the evidence for UFOs is so tenuous and unsupportable that if it were not for the denials by officials in the skeptical community, this balderdash would fall of its own weight with no more than derisive laughter. And he talks about uh, testimonial evidence alone cannot support the claims of UFO believers. After 50 years, there's not one shred of irrefutable evidence. There is simply nothing to explain, he says, right? And he's talking, he went to a, apparently some kind of a, a, a convention on this, and he listened to Dave Thomas, a physicist, vice president for New Mexicans for Science and Reason, who reports that uh, if UFOs were a religion, Roswell would be their mecca. Well, that's true. <laughs> there is a complete uh, industry around the whole mm -hmm. UFO thing. And, uh, you know, he talked about saying that the, that the movie uh, Roswell got its facts wrong and had some chronology wrong, and on the basis of that... What? But that doesn't mean anything? Um, now, this is interesting. Aliens and their technology reflect the technology and or science fiction of their times. If UFOs were real, they'd look the same from one generation to the next. This is an argument against them, right? And I'm going, well, they do look the same, basically. Actually, I thought they all looked quite different. You got the rods, you got the big Well, well in terms of reality, yeah, they're different. But on science fiction, you talk about TV shows. And I, oh, you, Have you noticed it. lately that all of the aliens tend to look like... Close Encounters type of aliens, right? Because that seems to be the industry-accepted alien. Well, they're also humanoid-looking. There's a good reason for them being look, looking like humanoids, and that is that it doesn't cost very much for makeup. It also would be <laughs> possibly very practical, even as you pointed out the, the patterns in um, chaos and mathematics, how all life takes the b same basic shape. Yes, there's you a know, symmetry to there's it. There's the a, symmetry. Yeah. And, of course, he dismisses the Kenneth Arnold thing, and he says, I no longer have an open mind about UFOs, so to me, true believers are either credulous, crazy, or disingenuous. Well, it's obvious he doesn't have an open mind. And um, basically he says, and here's another one, uh, the sun, he says, the CIA reports that the military lied about UFO sightings. More than half of the reports of UFOs came from airline pilots. The military had lied to keep our U-2 and SR-71 spycraft Air, or spy aircraft secret. Is it any wonder people believe in conspiracy theories when each disclosure reveals the government as a liar on the subject? Well, that's an interesting argument, but what about the, other, the half of the people who reported the UFO sightings, the other half? What about, uh, you know, the airline pilots? They don't count. If an airline pilot reports it, he doesn't count. This is how skeptics are dismissing evidence. They want exhibit A. They don't want exhibit B, C, D, E, F, and G, <laughs> right? Which is all that we have to work with now. And what, what they're working from is a sense of frustration. And I can understand it. Lack of control. And one of the big, big issues, I think, is this belief that you can't keep a secret like this. And this, if I could have spent the whole show on this one phenomenon alone, and that's the ph phenomenon of what we might call official recognition by government, or on the other side of the coin, official denial. Uh, or you can interpret it as, until the government says it's so, it ain't. Mm -hmm. right? And a lot of people go through life that way. Uh, we don't even recognize a tornado as being genuine until some government official has come down to confirm that it was. That's right, yeah. And there are reasons for that. But, and, 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 of course... Insurance um, reasons. Issues <laughs> like that, of course. But it doesn't prove anything. Um, 
you know, even in the face of outright visible evidence to the contrary, you know, how can you, how can you say that? How can you look at all these witnesses and just dismiss them? Call them all kooks? Call it mass hysteria? That's not what even the Army studies show. The problem is that there are a lot of kooks out there, and there are a lot of problems with the hoaxes and things like that. And they the get mixed up with the That's real not stuff. the problem. The problem is a lot of people can't tell the kooks from the real ones. Yes. Yeah. That's the problem. It's a problem of epistemology and, and metaphysics and the whole understanding. And, you know, then we can get into all sorts of other issues very quickly. For example, the media that reports the UFOs stories. Um, given grand instances of lack of objectivity in news and politics reporting, how can we trust them when they're reporting the media, right? Or, or reporting UFOs. Often the story is not, is not about what's, you know, what's not in the story is what's the important part. And... Um, you know, again, I've never seen a UFO. The idea that, that life only originated on planet Earth, of course, I think most people don't accept that anymore. Do you think that's basically true? I think their their minds are quickly changing, especially since uh, the discovery of, what, in the last 10 years, over 400 planets outside of our own solar mm. system. They didn't even know for sure that there were other planets. Well, there the again, galaxy. that's one of those things I believed when I was a kid that has now been proven. And mm -hmm. I didn't believe it because I just it was fun to believe or I wanted to believe it or it felt comfortable. It made sense to believe it. It made sense to believe it because it, it, it fit into the pattern of everything else I saw in, in, in life. Uh, you know, another thing is that in, in a funny sort of way on this issue, evidence doesn't really matter. Skeptics won't accept evidence as real. You know, it's always fake or it doesn't fit the belief, while believers will accept all claims of evidence uncritically. So you have the other side of the story. People in the middle who can't decide who to believe, um, you know, they sort of choose a form of agnosticism. You know, they go, oh, sure, I believe there's life in outer space, but until I see the proof that it's here, I'll keep an open mind on this subject, right? Which is... Well, if you accept that, then how can you not accept this? It's a natural consequence, right? How can you accept a cause but not its consequence? How can you separate your mind that way? I can't do that myself. So I have to go with, with a conclusion, right or wrong. Um, it's interesting, too, that many UFO shows and publications that you will see dedicate the majority of their content to disproving UFOs and disproving sightings. It's important to them to be taken credibly. Um, Again, over the long haul, I've witnessed more official deniers and skeptics and government officials switch sides to the alien side of the argument. That tells me something. I've never seen it the other way around. Never seen it the other way around. And, of course, there's nothing supernatural, miraculous, or, as you say, outrageous about, or illogical about any of the UFO explanations, including the other ones that aren't aliens. I've seen a few that, yeah, it could be that, too, you know? Uh, so, but the whole subject is, however, outside our personal experience and outside our personal knowledge and that's why it's so uncomfortable to us and if you believe that governments can't keep secrets no they can't keep a secret it's not a secret in that sense but until they officially <laughs> recognize it you know my mom grew up in a totalitarian regime under hitler and she once told me she said listen if hitler told you the sky was pink with polka dots you believed it even if you knew the sky was blue didn't make any difference and that and people still have that you know that attitude I don't know that aliens would, another point, aliens would uh, attack us rather than be our friends, as Hawking might suggest. I don't know about that. Uh, they might not have an interest in us, but I would think that any sentient being would recognize and, and, and have some sort of recognition of another sentient being, wouldn't you? Yes and no. I'm of two minds on that yeah. one. Yeah, I think that if well, uh, intelligent life, I'm almost will, uh, willing to go with Hawking that if intelligent life is anything like us, they're not going to treat 
um, other life that they get out there with that much respect first. They're going to use no, it as a... They're going to be very selfish about we it. We wouldn't have any rights within the context of any society there. The funny thing about talking about aliens, if you're talking about aliens at all, you already have to sort of accept that they exist if you're going to do any speculation about them, mm-hmm. right? And that places you in another uncomfortable position because uh, you can speculate all you want about aliens, but you will prove nothing in the end. The other question is that if they've been here for 50, 100 years or whatever, they haven't done anything yet, so perhaps there's a good chance they're not going to do anything in the future, like attack us or colonize us or whatever. Well, again, you know, have they only been here 50 or 100 years? I would suggest maybe they've been around for a million years and we Could haven't be. noticed them. Yeah. Um, the universe that's, is that's a very another old place. argument I hear often. Oh, it takes too long to make the trip. Well, yeah, if you get in your car and you think you're going to drive from here to Alpha Centauri in your lifetime, it's not going to happen. Well, Hawking said that if there's any life out there, it is most likely that they live in humongous spaceships. They, they don't live on to. planets. They no, they would have to, and that's how they would move. So the issue of the time it takes to travel from one place to another is a non-issue in that re- respect. They have all the time in the they universe. they got all the time in the <laughs> universe, especially if you're talking about what we might call multi-generational ships, which seems to be the way we'd have to go into space if we do. Many questions we haven't answered, I know, and I know the show's already winding up and I could go through tons of stuff. I, I was just overwhelmed, Robert, I have to tell you. Um, the tragic thing is, Bob, after this show is over, I'm not going to do anything about it ever again. I'm not going to go out there and look at the skies looking for UFOs. I'm not really going to talk about it again. There's really no need to. There's a lack of control. There's a lack of knowledge that I just can't continue on with it, you know. So, in the end, we really haven't proven anything, have we? (laughs) (laughs) Well, what a waste of a show this was. Even so, maybe we still learned something, and we hope you'll still respect us on our next morning show. (laughs) Have we lost all of our credibility, or did we not have any to lose in the first place? For answers to these and other mysteries that need to be solved, we hope you'll join us again next week when we return with another edition of Just Right. Hope to see you then. You know what to do. Be right, act right, and do all that stuff, you know. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright Are you through? <laughs> now what are you waiting for me to say? Take me to your leader? <laughs> Who are you? Well, I could give you some wild tale of being a Russian astronaut or the designer of an experimental spacecraft. But the plain fact of the matter is, I'm from Mars. Mars? Mars. Now, don't look so astonished. I'm a professor of anthropology from Mars, specializing in this primitive planet. Mars? I'm afraid you got hit a little harder than you think. Oh, that idiot at the controls reported me to his base as a flying saucer. (laughs) Ooh. Oh, just don't sit there. I've been hurt. 